I'm Michael Pauley, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Well, welcome everybody. It is a beautiful day, beautiful fall day, picture perfect. And uh, my only complaint is that uh, I wish that we could be doing this uh, recording outside in the warm sunshine. Uh, but I'm delighted today to uh, be joined by my co-host, Chris Motes. Chris, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you today, Michael? I am, I'm doing fabulous, uh, or better than I deserve is my favorite line these days, because it's always true. We're always mm. doing better than we deserve. But uh Anyway, as we're recording this show today, uh, the election is looming large in the windshield, as I like to say. And uh, of course, uh, as regular listeners to this show know, we've uh, spent a lot of time talking about uh, one issue in particular on the ballot, and that is Initiated Measure 27, uh, which um, probably everyone realizes by now is the measure that would legalize recreational marijuana in the state of South Dakota. And we've we've explored this from a number of angles. Uh, we had uh, uh, Emily Leadham, uh, the executive director of the Lord Center here in the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Uh, she was on the show uh, kind of addressing this from the perspective of how does using marijuana uh, uh, contribute or detract from human flourishing, broadly understood, and then um, uh, the, another angle that we've explored is we had uh, Sheriff-elect uh, Pat West uh, from Meade County uh, kind of exploring the relationship of marijuana to crime. Uh, but one missing link that I've always wanted to touch on is uh, addressing this issue from a medical perspective. And and real key reason for that is just the amount of of misinformation, or dare I say disinformation, uh, that seems to be going on uh, surrounding the medical aspect uh, of this topic. So we have a great guest today who is qualified uh, to talk about the medical aspect of this issue. Uh, And so I'm pleased to welcome to the show uh, Dr. Bonnie Amdahl. Dr. Amdahl, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, and and Dr. Amdahl has been, I, I think I can say, a friend of the Catholic Conference Dr. Amdahl, you and I uh, both met a couple of years ago. You were very kind in sort of helping uh, just offer your own perspective and comment on a bill that we were helping with, endorsing at the time. The bishops were endorsing uh, a bill, I think it was House Bill 1247 two years ago, that would have been really robust conscience protections for healthcare providers. So that was when I first um, met you via email, I think at the encouragement of somebody that knew you. And one of the things Mm -hmm. that was just, it's so interesting about your own background, and I think gave you a very, uh, a, just a powerful voice on that particular topic, um, but really anything at the intersection of both healthcare and policymaking or healthcare and law um, is just these these two uh, advanced degrees that you have. Would you mind just sharing with the listeners a little bit about your, kind of your educational background and some of the professional and uh, educational experiences that you bring to bear? Sure. Um, That's very kind words for you to say about me. I, um, my husband and I got married when we were young and kind of took turns going to school. So I got my undergrad degree and was working while he was going to school. And then when it was time to go back to get a graduate degree, um, I was applying for medical school and we discovered that I was pregnant and we decided we didn't want to live apart for a year or two. And So then I talked to my brother who was in medical school and he said, well, law school would be shorter, easier, cheaper, and 
you know, you wouldn't have to split up the family. So I went ahead and applied and got into law school. I knew pretty much right away that I still kind of wanted to do medical school, but both the dean of the law school and medical school said, finish where you're at. So I did. And then I was fortunate enough to be selected to be the law clerk for Judge John B. Jones of the Federal District Court of South Dakota. And I worked two years for him. And then I went ahead and went back to medical school. So I've kept up my law license. I have two children who are attorneys and um, they challenge me a lot. (laughs) They try to keep me current a little bit, but I do have both degrees. That's wonderful. And both licenses. Wow. Well, and that really um, uh, tees you up wonderfully uh, to comment on Measure 27 because, you know, you can look at this from both the perspective of medical science, but also with your lawyer's mind and lawyer's eye, uh, understand the implications of what this is going to look like uh, if it, God forbid, gets uh, added to our statutes. Um, But yeah, just to dive into Measure 27, Uh, I want to read a quote uh, from the South Dakota State Medical Association, which has come out in opposition uh, to Measure 27. So here's what they say about marijuana. Evidence shows that the drug may cause brain atrophy and permanently change the structure and physiology of the developing brain. Um, And I know, Dr. Amdahl, you're not here representing the South Dakota State Medical Association, but I just want to ask you, uh, do they have this right about marijuana's impact on the brain? Absolutely, they do. And we've known for over 10 years from MRI studies um, of the brain that there is permanent brain loss for regular users who start as teenagers. And I'm sorry, I know I kind of sprung this on you. I don't know if you can see this, but here's a picture of a normal brain. Here's a picture of a brain of a regular THC user. You can see the decreased brain matter there. I think, uh, of the brain. I think I think we have to, unfortunately, it, it probably has to be raised so that it covers your 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 face on screen in order there, for the, can you see the it now? To, little, little higher. Little higher. Little higher. There you go. Little now a little lower. <laughs> okay. There well, we go. There it is. And it. so you've got the normal brain here and you've got the brain with the loss of um, brain matter there. They show a permanent IQ loss of eight points for teenagers who start and are regular users. And even for adult users, there was a recent statement out um, from the American Heart Association. They reviewed a bunch of long-term studies and they found that in this 25-year longitudinal study, and that's important because it's a long-term study, it's not a one time um, study with limited participants that users, they see about a 25% global neurocognition decrease compared to non-users. And that those who started at 17 years of age still showed poor executive functioning at 23 years of age. Hmm. So these are peer-reviewed medical journals that I'm going to be citing to you today, and that's very important because the marijuana industry puts out these claims, and frequently I don't even know where their research is coming from. But it is a problem in that they are not associated with the peer-reviewed medical journals. Overseas, there's been a lot of work done by the international medical community. For instance, Canada, New Zealand, Sweden, the UK have done extensive long-term longitudinal studies with hundreds of thousands of participants. So doctor, for somebody who's listening is like, you know, eight points in my IQ, maybe I'm just a little slower, 
okay, cognitive executive function. If that doesn't really register, can you put it, can you put some of this in terms of actual like mental health uh, disorders or what's, what's the, what's the biggest mental health concern from your perspective? Absolutely. Um, Contrary to what the industry will tell you, regular users have long-term increased rates of anxiety and depression and paranoia. This is a huge problem for long-term users. It is now the number one cause or number one drug associated with teen suicides in Colorado. And even after they stop using, they struggle with long-term depression and anxiety and all the medical literature is showing this. Not only that, there are recent studies that are showing that your risk for acute psychotic episodes is three to five times that of the general population. The risk of schizophrenia is increased two to six times over the general population, depending on how often you use and what kind you use. So these are significant long-term mental health issues that we're seeing with regular users. And even even a one-time user can suffer an acute psychotic episode given the high potency drug of today. So we see a lot of that in the emergency room. There was an interesting article out published just this Sunday in the New York Post that the emergency room doctors out of San Diego said that they are seeing approximately 20 episodes of acute psychosis from marijuana compared to methamphetamines. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Um, It's amazing. Yeah. Um, And, you know, the mental health um, adverse consequences of marijuana are, are, frightening in and of themselves, but uh, there's also, are there not physical health uh, consequences of using marijuana that maybe don't get as much attention, but, uh, but, but we should dive into that. What, what do you see as the physical health consequences? Oh, absolutely. And this, and you know, when I talked to the gentleman on Kello and he said that maybe some of my data is outdated, I want to emphasize that these are all current um, medical studies and publications. So there was a recent study with 379,000 patients, non-smokers, all of them. And it showed that the marijuana smokers had an approximately 80% increased risk of heart attack and stroke or heart attack and coronary artery disease and an 88% increased risk of stroke. Um, You don't hear that in most of the literature out there. And I think that as the United States does more longitudinal studies, we will see more of that, but the international community has known it for a long time. There are something called hyperemesis cannabis. It's a condition where the lining of the gut gets inflamed from the marijuana use and they have this uncontrolled vomiting. It doesn't stop until they stop using completely. They call it um, scrometing because these people come into the emergency room frequently screaming from the pain as they vomit. And I saw a significant amount of that in my practice. And, you know, they never want to believe that it's marijuana. But doc, but doc, the the website tell me that it'll help with nausea. And I say, well, not for you, it certainly doesn't. And until until they stop using, they don't stop vomiting. There's something new out there that they are beginning to see with the high potency called um, cannabis arteritis. And it narrows the arteries in the digits 
it may be similar to something that we see in cigarette smokers called Berger's disease, but they can lose digits. It's rare at this point, but I think with the increasing potency, we may see more of that. Um, it has an increased risk of testicular cancer. We know that. Oy. That has been proven. I suspect that the longitudinal studies in the United States will show increased risk for multiple other cancers. I know that recently the CDC said um, that the tar and carcinogens in marijuana is actually higher than it is in cigarettes. Wow. You, you know, and speaking of cigarettes, there's something here that um, Michael pulled up that I want to share, doctor. And it's sort of this general myth of harmlessness. And it's, I, I say, I'm kind of segueing from cigarettes because there's this, I think, a general understanding in society that cigarettes are harmful. So the, the Gallup, here's the Gallup uh, survey results right here. 82% of Americans view cigarette smoking as very harmful followed by 14% who view cigarette smoking as somewhat harmful. So that's 96% see it as like it's a harmful thing um, compared to 3% who see it as either not too harmful or not at all. And you kind of work your way down the chart. Chewing tobacco, 71% think very harmful, 23% somewhat harmful. Okay, we've got like vaping, kind of this newer form of tobacco consumption. But even there, 38% of people think it's very harmful, 35% see it as somewhat harmful. But then at the, the opposite end of the spectrum, with marijuana uh, use, only 27% of people see it as very harmful compared to 82% very harmful with cigarettes. 29% of people see it as somewhat harmful. But then a combined, let's see, 24 and 18% respectively say not too harmful or not at all uh, for marijuana use, which is really... Um, it's just not true. I mean, kind of based on everything you've just shared with the mental health, the physical health. I mean, there are great, great harms here. And maybe we could, uh, you know, wax discursive as to why this is. Maybe there's this industry that hasn't, you know, they've, there's clearly a financial interest. But I guess my, my question, as these myths of harmlessness are sort of circulating, fueled by the industry, what, what in your view are some of the best ways that we can counteract some of this misinformation, these myths about harmlessness? It's extremely difficult. We have an uphill um, battle because partly because of the media. I think the media has stopped doing independent reporting. If you look at all of the medical statements regarding marijuana and most of the large medical um, associations including here in South Dakota, the press seems to be reluctant to cover the fact that the South Dakota Medical Association and the South Dakota Academy of Family Practice Physicians, the two largest medical associations in the state, have issued strong statements against IM27. And how often do you see that reported? So number one, we're battling the media. Number two, we are battling an industry that has a lot of money, a lot of money for advertising, and they are complete misinformation. You know, I went on one of their websites, I was looking up things and I went on one of their websites. And one of the problems with this high potency marijuana is that sometimes it'll take four days, four days to recover from one of their highs. And that website had frequently asked questions. So we know this is a frequent problem. And it said, if you're still feeling high after four days, don't worry. 
just sit home and wait. Don't go to the emergency room. Well, so the doctors are being silenced. And I think that's a huge problem. Um, we saw that some with COVID as well. And so the doctors are beginning to organize to try to get their word out there. There's a group called IASIC, International Academy of Science and Cannabis. It's a group of international doctors that have come together and said, we are not seeing in the medical literature or in our own practices what the industry is reporting out there. Mm. And we feel that's false. So they came together to try to combat some of the misinformation not necessarily to say for or against legalization, um, but to combat the misinformation. One of the problems is the search engines. And I'm not sure how this needs to be changed. Maybe Elon Musk, huh? Um, <laughs> but one of the things, like if the young users in particular, if they go on to TikTok and they put in marijuana use, the first thing that's going to come up is going to be an industry statement. Mm. And once they've clicked on that, then TikTok or the other search engine will say, oh, you want to see more of that. Yeah. So rather than go to the medical sources, it automatically goes to more industry sources. We need to address that somehow about how people search and how we can get the medical sources to come up first, because these are peer-reviewed medical journals. This isn't an industry that has an interest in keeping marijuana illegal, except for the health of their patients. So that's one thing I think we need to do. Another thing is that some of the people that I have met in the last four weeks during the time we were doing this, we are talking about the possibility of keeping our network in place, not necessarily the pack, but the, the network of people who are interested in this subject. And we need to get into the high schools and we need to get into the colleges and we need to have medical people in there talking about the medical effects, not the industry. Some of those people that work in the pot shops, they have a high school education and um, we need to, I know doctors are busy, but we need to counter that. Yeah. Well, you know, you were mentioning the marijuana industry and there was an article in Forbes magazine that came out, uh, I think it was a couple of months ago, uh, that said that marijuana, um, the legal marijuana industry, so just the marijuana industry in those states that have legalized it, is expected to be uh, $32 billion in revenues this year. So this is not, uh, you know, we're not talking about a, a mom and pop uh, operation here. You can buy a lot of misinformation for uh, $32 billion. And and we're seeing that, uh, you know, the, the industry is pumping money into states like South Dakota uh, to try to sell these measures to voters. But, you know, getting back to this whole thing about the, um, you know, what Chris was talking about earlier, this disconnect between the realities of marijuana's adverse health consequences and then the public perception that it's harmless. This is a bit of speculation in my part, but I've always wondered whether part of the problem is, I guess, people in my generation, I'm thinking about people from like ages 45 to 65 or 70, um, and these are the people who they might have experimented a little bit with marijuana when they were back in high school or college. You know, maybe that they were at a party uh, where a joint was passed around and, you know, maybe they experimented a little bit with it. And to their recollection, nothing super horrible happened. Um, and so in their minds, they just don't 
think marijuana is a big deal. And so they, they don't take the issue seriously. Um, but the reality is, is that today's marijuana is not exactly the same drug that people were using 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. Can you unpack that for us, doctor? I would agree 100 percent with what you just said. And that is something I hear from people. Well, and of course, I grew up in the 70s. OK, so um, you know what that was. Yeah. But I hear that from people. I did pot. Didn't really hurt me. Didn't really hurt my brother or my sister, whoever. Um, with all due respect, you did not do this drug. This is not the same drug. It's not even the same drug. Um, in the 70s, the potency was around 4% from the plants. Now, these are genetically modified plants, many of them. And the potency for the buds alone now ranges between 20 and 30%. So you are talking about five times, you know, the potency just for the plant. And the studies that I cite talk about high potency marijuana being 20%. So we're talking about the plant. Yeah. But if you're talking about edibles, the edibles range between 60 and 70% THC. Wow. And if you're talking about dabbing or some other the other more refined edibles, you're talking 90 plus. So the studies don't even have a clue how bad this is going to get. We don't know the permanent damage this will do. And that's one thing I was going to say. A huge difference, too, is that marijuana is fat-soluble instead of water-soluble. So one of the reasons why this high-potency THC stays in the brain longer is because the brain is like 60% fat. So it gets in there and it sits there. And the drug and alcohol counselors are telling me that it really does take four days when someone's been doing this high potency marijuana dabbing, it takes four days to bring them down from that. And this is one of the things you can see like, well, if you're lost in this fog of hopelessness and helplessness and despair and paranoia for four long days, it's going to seem like it's never going to end. Wow. So this is not the drug of the 70s. So people should not even begin to compare their experiences from those days with today's drug. Wow. It's a totally different drug. Doctor, would, would you mind sharing with us and the listeners any personal experiences just as a physician that have kind of helped you, you know, just come to a realization of how harmful the modern marijuana is? Sure. Um, one of the first experiences I had, um, and I guess sometimes I'm a like my neighbor when he said, I don't use drugs. My kids don't use drugs. Doesn't affect me. Well, I was kind of drifting along. And then one day they brought down a baby um, who was floppy and didn't want, wasn't interested in eating a newborn baby. And it turned out I couldn't get the baby to feed for me. I do upper GIs on them and, and the baby wouldn't even take the bottle. Turned out the mom uh, was a very heavy pot user. So the, the baby probably still had that on board because the CT and everything was negative. Well, they sent mom home and kept the baby in the hospital. And the baby, um, by the end of the week, came down and I did the upper GI to make sure there was nothing anatomically wrong with the child. And there wasn't. So they sent the baby home. And a week later, the baby's back on my schedule again. And the baby's not wanting to feed. And the baby's floppy again. And I was like, I am not doing this baby over again. Is this woman breastfeeding? And of course she was, and she's a very heavy um, marijuana user. So it's fat soluble, goes into the breast milk, right? It's uh, affecting the baby. 
that was one of my first experiences with them. And then in recent years, I have seen a couple of episodes of acute psychosis. These were young people, 15, 21, came in just really out of their mind crazy. And that's what they're seeing in the ERs in California and Colorado um, in an acute psychotic episode. And honestly, one of those nights I was working late and, and I hear a voice that I know, you know, people talk about good families. I hear this voice that I know just crying, saying, someone, please, please, please help my child. And it was an acute psychotic episode. So I called the ER doc and I, after I looked at the head CT and actually I, I sent that off for a second opinion too, just to be sure um, that there was nothing there. And I said, okay, what is this child on? And when the ER doc called me back with the talk screen and he said, the only thing there is THC, I was stunned. I didn't realize at the time um, a priest friend of mine came to me after that episode and said, you know, my opioid um, people that I'm dealing with are saying that pot is so much better for them. They, they'll just substitute the pot. Can you do some research for me? I, I honestly didn't know. I didn't have a clue until I started diving into this. Um, and, you know, priests can be pretty persuasive when they want to be. So um, <laughs> I did a lot of research and I was shocked and horrified. And the more I dive into it, the worse it seems. We talked about the hyperemesis cannabis. I saw a lot of those instances in the last few years of my practice because because they never wanted to believe it was their marijuana that was bothering them. Wow. You know, this... Um reminds me of a uh, doctor who was uh, an emergency room doctor in Colorado, and I wish I could uh, remember her name, uh, but her quote was something to the effect of, uh, if, if you could see what I see every day in the emergency room, you wouldn't even think for two seconds about legalizing marijuana in, um, in South Dakota, you know, and that's just... Uh, um, I mean, after what you've shared there, um, it, it's, it, we, we just need to get this word out to uh, as many people as we possibly can. So um, we are um, just about uh, out of time for our uh, broadcast for our radio listening audience, but uh, we are going to be uh, continuing the conversation with uh, Dr. Uh, Bonnie Amdahl. And so if you want to hear the unabridged conversation, uh, please visit uh, the website for the South Dakota Catholic Conference. Uh, that is uh, sdcatholicconference.org. Um, and uh, before we close uh, for um, our radio listeners, uh, I do want to mention um, for those who are not aware of it, that the bishops of South Dakota have taken uh, a position on Measure 27 and are urging uh, Catholics and all people of goodwill uh, to uh, oppose this measure because of the harms that it would uh, bring to this state. And uh, if, if you haven't been convinced uh, based upon what you've heard uh, in the broadcast so far, uh, please, I encourage you to visit the South Dakota Catholic Conference website. There's a bunch of resources that are listed there. Uh, articles, uh, some videos, uh, some interviews with people, uh, just a whole host of information that you can use to inform yourself uh, on this issue. Um, so uh, until uh, next time for our radio listeners, uh, thank you for listening and uh, vote no on Measure 27. All right. And for our lucky uh uh, podcast uh, subscribers. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation with uh, 
Dr. Amdahl. So uh, I want to tackle an issue, um, and uh, oh, now now I'm regretting that we didn't bring this up uh, for the radio portion of the show because it's a it's a really important one. But anytime we have a discussion about uh, marijuana, this issue comes up that advocates of legalization point out to the fact that we've got other harmful substances, uh, namely alcohol and tobacco, uh, that are currently legal. And therefore, let's just treat marijuana the same way. And part of the argument goes is that if we legalize marijuana, then we can kind of bring it above ground. You know, we can regulate it. We can license distributors. Uh, everything can be kind of made safe and orderly. And you know, because we can get it out of this underground uh, criminal market. So uh, you've no doubt heard this argument, doctor. Uh, what's your take on it? I have heard that argument and it never makes any sense to me because it's kind of like we have something terrible. Let's let's legalize something else terrible. Um, <laughs> but but in any case, there's a number of reasons why I think in the long run, this new high potency marijuana will be one of the most dangerous drugs out there. And in some respects, it combines the worst of tobacco and alcohol and even throws in some from the opioids. Um, first of all, it is fat soluble. We talked about that. That's one reason why it stays in the brain longer and it stays in the tissues longer. You will test positive up to 28 days after one use. Okay, because it goes into the fat and leaches out much more slowly because it is fat soluble instead of water soluble. It's a problem that we don't see so much with alcohol in that even after they stop feeling high, they're seriously impaired. New Zealand did a wonderful study with airline pilots, and there's been another study with airline pilots since then. They put them in the um, simulators after they've used and they test them at various points. And 24 hours after use in one of those studies, it showed that though they felt fine, everybody but one said they felt fine, 70% of them were still seriously impaired. Some of them couldn't even hit the runway. Um, so they think they're not impaired, though they still are. Um, another thing that's different between marijuana and alcohol is that alcohol does have people who use it casually, have a drink now and then. You can't do that with marijuana. The whole goal of marijuana is to be impaired. And if everybody who had a drink was impaired, we would have even more problems with alcohol yes. than we have. But that's a significant difference. Um, and the long lasting effects that we're seeing with this high potency marijuana, the permanent brain damage, do we see brain damage with alcohol? Yes, but usually much, much heavier use than required for marijuana. And there was a study out recently that showed the top three reasons for brain loss. The first is schizophrenia, the second is marijuana, and the third is alcohol. So yes, the researchers were surprised that alcohol came in behind marijuana too. But as we've already talked about, marijuana significantly increases your risk of schizophrenia. So it's involved in the top two causes for brain loss. Also, addiction rates. The CDC says that marijuana use disorder is about 30% in users. That's high. Mm. That's high. And if you were going to do a bungee jump and they said, well, you know, okay, you got a 10% risk. You're going to sign that permission slip. But what if it's your kid? Yeah. And now they yeah. say there's yeah. a 30% risk of long-term damage. I don't think you would sign that. Yeah, I've often made the comment that I think if 30% of all people who consumed alcohol were problem drinkers, 
uh, prohibition probably would have stuck. You know, <laughs> I mean, seriously, if if it, if it because that would just be an epic disaster uh, for society. I mean, it's it's not that that it's an insignificant problem where it is now, but it's not 30% of all people, you know, who consume alcohol being, you know, problem drinkers. One of the other arguments that we hear, doctor, that I want to get your comment on is this argument that surrounds sort of the tax revenues. You know, we can, we get, we can Mm -hmm. tax it when it's regulated, we can tax it. And then we can use that revenue that we're funding to actually feed into some of the addiction counseling and the treatment for people who need it, et cetera, et cetera. What are your thoughts? Is that a, a good trade-off for society? Absolutely not. Um, some of the states that have legalized, the five states that have mature markets still show a $71 billion deficit and combined their income was about $2.5 billion. Mm. It's not going to take care of your deficit, okay? But more importantly, recent study in Colorado showed that for every dollar of tax brought in, there's $4.50 expense. And the marijuana industry has said, well, some of that is lost wages, blah, blah, blah. If you go to that study and look, just the hospitalization costs alone exceed the tax income from this. So you can't even begin to touch the expenses with your tax income. And they also will say that it prevents the black market from coming in. No such thing. Last year, the legal income was around 25 billion legal sales, but the black market was at least 75 to 80 billion. So it does not discourage the black market. And with the black market comes all of the other crime, the human trafficking, et cetera, et cetera, and the opioids, the fentanyl. So no, you're not going to save money by legalizing this. Well, yeah, that, that response reminds me of that uh, old adage that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Amen. And that is certainly <laughs> seems to be the case uh, with marijuana. Um, well, just uh, as we wind up the discussion here today, I want to bring the focus back to uh, Measure 27, this question that will be before the voters uh, very shortly. And the last poll that was released on this issue um, was somewhat encouraging. It actually showed uh, more people, uh, at least at this moment, uh, saying that they're going to vote no uh, than are planning to vote yes. So, um, you know, we can pray that that will continue to be the case uh, as we get closer to November 8th. But one of the things that that poll pointed out is that uh, 10% of South Dakota voters, one out of every 10 voters, uh, describe themselves as undecided on this issue. So those folks are up for grabs in a sense. And I guess I just wanted to say, if you encountered one of these people, uh, one of the people in the ranks of the undecided uh, between now and election day, uh, what, how would you convince them to vote no? Say if you just had one minute uh, to make your case, uh, what, would, what would Dr. Amdahl tell them? Anything you do in life is risk versus benefits. Um, the risks are extremely high here and the benefits are zero to South Dakota. What is the benefit to South Dakota? Another addictive drug that's going to cost us money and the tax dollars never meet the expectations. Expenses dwarf the tax income. Doesn't discourage the black market. It encourages the black market and the risks are high. You know, traffic fatalities, related to marijuana more than doubled in both Colorado and Washington state, Um, workplace injuries, absenteeism, and more importantly, the risks to the users are extreme. 
permanent brain loss to teen users, permanent neurocognitive decline for other users, increased risk of heart attacks, strokes, psychosis, schizophrenia, hyperemesis, cannabis, the list goes on and on. And these risks are extreme with no benefit to South Dakota. Wow. That uh, certainly was convincing to me. So, um, well, Chris, any uh, closing thoughts or questions before we wrap it up today? Dr. Amdahl, I just want to thank you for all the efforts you've been putting in to, to help educate people with good information across the state. I know you've been really proactive and busy in the last few weeks. So thank you. And uh, God bless you for, for all those wonderful efforts. Yes. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, you, uh, you mentioned earlier um, that there's been some discussion that, you know, regardless of the outcome on this measure on November 8th, uh, to keep the effort going and specifically to try to get into schools to educate young people. And um, God bless you for thinking about that, because it's real obvious to me uh, throughout the course of this campaign that while, while we do need to defeat Measure 27, um, it's obvious that um, we have marijuana uh, being used now in South Dakota, and, and, and even if Measure 27 is defeated, uh, that's going to continue to be a problem. And so th these problems about the education gap between the reality of marijuana and, and the public perception of it, uh, that's going to continue to be a problem that will be with us regardless of the outcome on Measure 27. So thank you for being a voice of uh, sanity on this, Doctor. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to speak with you today, and thank you for covering this important issue. Thank you so much. Well, that's all we have uh, for today's episode. Uh, and uh, just to reiterate uh, what I mentioned earlier, that uh, there are a lot of great resources uh, that the South Dakota Catholic Conference has put out on this issue. So please visit the website, sdcatholicconference.org. Um, and that's all we have for today. Until next time, live well.